Welcome to Two Halves, a new who podcast. My name is CJ. And I'm James. And this is the only podcast that asks you what use your emotions if you will not save the woman you love. And every week here on Two Hearts, we take a look at another episode from the 2005 Doctor Who revival, and this week we are looking at Dalek. But before we get to that, how have you been this week, CJ? I've been pretty good. Um, I mean, I feel like I say that every week, and then invariably it hasn't been very good, but I'm just putting yes. a nice positive spin on what's happening. Um, I've been doing a lot of writing, actually. I've recently joined a playwriting group, so I've been working on a new play with them, and it's been really good to kind of keep my creative juices flowing so that's been nice what about you also a lot of writing i don't know if you know this listeners but we are in fact writers um it, it's certainly not conveyed by our wanky use of language and self-importance but Whoa. uh i review well I, I sort of critically try to write about video games so that's reviews or interviews with the people that are making them or whatever it is uh and this week i'm taking a look at deadly premonition which for those in the know is going to give you a good laugh and for those who aren't it is a twin peaks in inspired hot mess of a game and the sequel's coming out in a couple of months so we are doing a little bit of a retrospective on the series where where, where can we read that uh you'll be able to find that one on power up gaming i'll include a link in the show notes because i can't remember the exact url i didn't even know you were doing that that's great yeah we don't talk outside of the podcast listeners yeah <laughs> we yeah uh, well honestly we press record and it's like oh hello oh okay quick go yeah that's it no time for context. Uh, so we're here this week, uh, very excited to discuss the much critically acclaimed episode, Dalek. But before we do get to that, um, there's a couple of Doctor Who news items we need to uh, inform you all of. Because we know that you folks definitely tune in to us to get all of your up-to-date Doctor Who news a week after <laughs> the news happens. Um, <laughs> but this week, we were intrigued by an interview with Mandip Gill, who spoke to Digital Spy. Uh, she did a bit of an interview about the upcoming revolution of the Daleks episode, fittingly enough, mm. uh, as, as a news story for this week for us. Um, and the interview is, you know, sort of exactly what you'd expect, um, sort of talking about how much fun that they're having with bringing back the classic villain and whatnot. Uh, but there was an interesting quote that caught my eye. So Mandip says, working with iconic monsters and whatnot that people associate with Doctor Who makes you feel more cemented in the series. When we work with things like Cybermen, John Barrowman, the Daleks, the Jadoon, you feel like you're now properly a part of the Doctor Who family. Now I found this interesting because it reminded me in a lot of ways of what John Boyega talked about before The Rise of Skywalker came out in the sense that you've got sort of a uh, subversive piece of text in a long-running series so you've got you know series 11 or the last jedi and then the actors sort of come out after that thing has come out and said yeah but now that we're getting back to the more classic elements it feels like we're part of the proper version of, mm. of this ip and i think it's an interesting sort of divide between uh trying to push these things forward and tell new stories while also acknowledging that everyone does seem still quite caught up in the sort of the classic trappings of it Absolutely. Um, I think Doctor Who is in a much better position, though, to like it, it's built, as we all know, on renewal and change. And so, you know, you don't have to encounter the Daleks or the Cybermen or whatever to feel like you're part of the family. But it is interesting that she makes that comment. I also think it's interesting that she refers to John Barrowman as a thing. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess he is pretty much like he's a cemented part of the series. Yes, he's like in the props department now. They just pull him out when they need him. <laughs> 
Exactly. It's him in a Jadoon costume, just hung up on a shelf somewhere. <laughs> Great. Uh, another interesting thing that this draws to light, and this is something that we're going to get into with Dalek, because I have a lot of thoughts on the Daleks, you'll be <laughs> surprised to hear. I'm sure. Um, it's, it's interesting that uh, she notes as well that they're doing yet another sort of special episode about the Daleks. And, you know, she says, oh, it feels like it's been such a long time since we did the last one. It was last year. You know, it's it's interesting that they are sort of going back to the well again so soon. I guess it feels like a long time because there's been such a long gap between seasons and episodes um, with a shorter run that it can often feel longer than what it actually has been. But it is, like, significantly sh- uh, longer than, say, Russell T. Davies, where there was a Dalek story every year. Yeah, look, that's definitely fair. I just find it um, maybe maybe slightly disappointing that we're once again doing another Dalek focused special to round out a, a Whitaker um, series but mm-hmm. look the, the jury's still out on that one we are obviously very much looking forward to seeing how they sort of reinvent the wheel because like I, I thought that Resolution was um, mostly quite a successful sort of deconstruction of a Dalek story so it'd be I'm definitely intrigued to see what Chibnall's going to do Me too, the images that we've seen sort of leaked online so far look very exciting and so well, we'll get into the Dalek debate later in the episode. Um, the only other n- news story we should make note of is that the watch rewatches have been ongoing. Recently, the community sat down and watched the Zygon Invasion inversion, which is a very good couple of episodes. And there was a little mini-sode kind of released at the same time as that with Osgood, the actress who plays Os- Osgood, coming back. So it's nice to see that we're still getting that content rolling out. But on to the actual episode that we're here to debate to discuss. So without further ado, let's dive right in. A great big museum. An alien museum. Someone's got a hobby. The cage contains my one living specimen. Must have fallen through time, the only survivor. It's killing him, do something! I swear, no one on this base is safe. You've got to keep it in that cell. He can't get out, that lock's got a billion combinations. Downstairs, he's going to kill every last one of us. What's the nearest town? Salt Lake City. So, Population. Dalek was the sixth episode of the Series 1 of Doctor Who. Um, first broadcast on the 30th of April, 2005. It was written by Robert Shearman. Um, one-time writer, one-time Doctor Who television writer, I should say, Robert Shearman. And uh, directed by Joe Ahern. Let's go to our trusty old friend IMDB for that. Actually, a pretty good, uh, succinct a plot synopsis for the episode. Um, I feel like they are getting better. <laughs> they are getting better. So, the TARDIS is drawn to an alien museum deep below the Utah desert where a ruthless billionaire keeps prisoner the last of the Doctor's most fearsome enemies. To be honest, there I wrote a little synopsis that expanded upon that, but on reflection, this is a very simple plot structure that that little like sentence really encapsulates everything you need to know about the the episode what happens really is that the doctor discovers the last of the daleks in a bunker owned by a millionaire or such a billionaire very important about those billion dollars um and inadvertently rose lets it go and chaos ensues and it escapes and just mows down everyone in its path it's very much it's like a um it almost feels like an inverted base under siege episode 
Like, there, there isn't much to it in terms of its actual plot structure, which is something that we've noticed across a lot of the episodes this season, actually, that, like, the, the core plot that drives things along isn't really what we're here for. No. It's how the characters are interacting with the events around them. Absolutely. The character stuff it is always the most important thing. Whereas, you know, you could say that that wasn't so successful in something like The End of the World, here it feels very essential. Absolutely. Uh, so before we pull this one apart, let's just get our general impressions. CJ, what, how do you feel about Dalek? It, it almost feels like a question that doesn't need to be asked, but it's, it's always good to revisit things that you assume that you love. Absolutely. And uh, it's good that you bring that up because like, I still do love this episode a lot, as does the majority of the fandom. Its status as a classic is stands up to this day. There are elements that in it that are very 2005 that are very that haven't aged particularly well. But thankfully, as opposed to some other episodes, that doesn't ruin my enjoyment of this episode. It's still a classic to this day. I love it. What about you? Yeah, uh, this was I, I rewatched Dalek uh, right before I did my Clara rewatch. This was still relatively fresh in my brain, and as coming back to Doctor Who after a long time of sort of being away from it and having Dalek be the first story that makes you go like, "Oh, that's right, this show is kind of brilliant," um, and then sort of rewatching it now with this sort of uh, context of season one in mind and a bit more of a critical lens, I still same as you, pretty much. Like, I still adore it on the whole. I think that what it gets right, it gets the most right out of this whole season maybe i mean i don't quite remember what comes next admittedly but from what we've seen so far this is uh this is doctor who operating on an entirely new level of good uh but the the missteps are more in just more script and performance stuff it's nothing that i find particularly offensive just stuff that i'm a bit like meh on Mm. yeah exactly just a bit meh. And the other thing that also is worth noting about this episode is that it is one of those rare breed of ones where it's like, they can't do this again. This is not a kind of formula that can be repeated. It is no, a one-off. It, it is. I feel like it's interesting because we saw a, um, perhaps maybe an unintentional riff on this kind of story in the, uh, and I'm going to butcher this name. I apologize. It's kind of a running joke between CJ and I that I butcher this name. So I'm, I'm sorry, listeners, but the haunting of Villa Dati. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like your, I like your title better. The haunting of Villa Daddy. <laughs> Uh, but I, I think that you could almost see a sort of shared DNA there in that you've got, uh, essentially a, a rusted relic sort of last of its kind classic who villain up against, you know, a, a contained space trying to, trying to hunt them down kind of thing. Uh, but you're right in, in a general sense, this isn't really a formula that the show ever even tries to emulate again. This is such a small scale, intimate telling of a Dalek story. Uh, that mm. yeah, I, I don't know how you would do this again. You're right. It is a, it is a very uh, small scale story. It's also a deconstruction story of this classic villain. And I can only think of a handful of other stories that really follow this trend. The one that comes to mind most clearly in that is also just, I think, as successful as this one is Cold War from Matt Smith's last season. Similar to what happens here. But this is the, this is like the uber of those stories. <laughs> so, um, Dalek had a bit of a funny old journey trying to get to the screen. Um, and this is something I only learned a few days ago is the Terry Nation estate, Terry Nation being the creator of the Daleks, um, initially refused the BBC the rights to use the Daleks. So this episode could have just been a very kind of generic alien in the vaults. And thinking about this now, I mean, you can rationalize it and say that, oh, it, it would have worked on the same level if it had just been another 
you know, new creation that the, the Doctor went up against in the Time War, it wouldn't have altered anything drastically. But there is some power to it being a Dalek that some undeniable kind of like dread at the back of your throat that you I, yeah i can't imagine it not being a dalek yeah I, I i do think to say that it wouldn't drastically alter the dna of the the episode is um is definitely an understatement because it, it would fundamentally shift things around mm. that being said i also think that there is something intriguing about you know you've got a new series of doctor who with new mostly new like other than the um, the nesting consciousness in the first episode, sort of since then we've just been experiencing new original uh, enemies for the Doctor to encounter. And so I think if you'd continued that trend and tried to tell a story about, you know, here is ostensibly a new enemy that is old to the Doctor, that could have been interesting. It just would have lacked the... Um, there's an extra layer of emotional catharsis given to this story because of the nostalgia that you have with a Dalek. And I think even if you're not overly familiar with the the show of Doctor Who, you are familiar with a Dalek. You know what one of those is. And to, to lose that element would be a massive loss for this episode, even if there is an interesting other version of this episode. Some- yeah, absolutely. And it's funny uh, what you bring up about how the audience like knows what a Dalek is before it's been on the screen. I kept trying to imagine how this episode would have played as it went out in 2005. And in back of my head, I was like, oh, you know, a lot, a lot of people wouldn't have known what a Dalek was. They could start it fresh. They didn't have to rely on all the tropes. But then as I was thinking that through a bit more clearly, I was like, there is a case to be made that the Daleks are perhaps even more well-known or more popular than you know, the Tardis or the Doctor or the other icons of the show. So it would make sense that it's a Dalek, that it has that same power. And also just on a purely technical point that it comes at this point in the series as well, because traditionally like middle episodes of seasons are like very low rated. So it was very canny of them to put this episode as a sort of a second pilot in the middle of the show. Yes, it, it does in a lot of ways. I know we talked about last week with the ending of World War Three, almost feeling like the second beginning point of the Doctor and Rose's journeys together. And this episode in particular, much more so than I think anything that's come before it, feels like a proper hey, you know, we had our fun last week with the fighting aliens and whatnot, but we are going to be taking this quite seriously from this point on. Because it's something that we talked about before we, we did this. This doesn't feel very uh, child-friendly compared to like fighting aliens where the, those episodes did everything they could to run away from the seriousness of their premise. This episode dives headlong into it. And there are sort of child-friendly elements like, you know, you've got the gold redesign of the dialect, you've got soldiers which for some reason people keep marketing to children i don't know why so it, it does appeal to children but yes it is a much harder hitting episode with much grittier themes like i'm not sure what child looks at christopher eccleston in this episode and says yeah i want to go on a journey with that guy <laughs> he's pretty brutal he's pretty brutal and i'm not that's not a criticism criticism it it's good <laughs> but yeah uh yeah and look that brutality I, I think is definitely justified in the sense that he is up against um a, a very horrifying reimagining of a, a classic villain in in the dalek itself you're right it is a reimagining of the daleks for sure um and it's interesting because this episode takes its um, inspiration from a, a Sixth Doctor audio play for Big Finish. Um, it has Daleks in it. It's more concerned with, like, you know, 
time travel and anomalies and alternate timelines and stuff. But that basic premise of a chained up Dalek is taken from that episode. It's kind of frustrating because the the same mind that uh, wrote that uh, initial story that this is based on, uh, what is it, Robert Shearman, um, it's, it's unfortunate because he never really went on to write another Doctor Who episode, did he? No, and I can't think of a reason for why that would be. Exactly, exactly right. Because I feel like Doctor Who has a, a tendency to reuse talent that gives them these sort of standout episodes. And yeah, to just look at his IMDb and not see any other Doctor Who work is, is just a bit sad, really. Yeah, it is interesting he never wrote for the show again. But, you know, I mean, when you've written a classic like this, you don't really need to. No, I suppose that's it. You, you've made your mark. You made one of the most critically acclaimed episodes of the series. Like, just bow out while you can, I suppose. Exactly. Let's talk about this Dalek. Let's talk about this Dalek. This individual Dalek. Old Rusty. There's a lot to dive into with this episode, and so much of it is centred around this one incredible Dalek with a fantastic voice performance by... Mr. Nicholas Briggs, who would go on to voice uh, also an interesting bit of connected DNA. He also voiced the Ice Warrior in... Cold War. I just found that out this morning, yeah. So yeah, let's talk about the the titular Dalek from Dalek. The Dalek. How many times can we say Dalek in one episode? Not enough. (laughs) Not enough. Definitely not enough. Uh, So I'm going to start with maybe a controversial talking point, uh, because I think we both are in agreement that this episode is one of the, if not maybe the best Dalek story ever told in Doctor Who. Um, I personally am of the belief that this should have been the last time that we see the Daleks. And I'm personally of the opinion that you're wrong. <laughs> I, I think that when, when you start an episode with the, the Doctor lands in the museum and he gets that really great exchange about the Cyberman head and he says, you know, the stuff of nightmares reduced to an exhibit, I'm getting old. I think you've almost got a really perfect thesis sort of statement there for the episode in that by taking Rose through a literal museum of classic Who villains, obviously it's quite meta and whatnot. And I think that to take that premise and do this thorough deconstruction of one of those villains as they do in this, where by the end of the episode, you reach a an entirely original conclusion with a Dalek that, that fundamentally sort of outpaces every other characterization we've seen of them before. And then to, to end that story on such a poignant note, and then in a few episodes time, bring back an armada of bloodthirsty classic villain Daleks. It just feels like what the series would go on to do with the Daleks completely undermines how brilliantly subverted this episode is. And by perhaps not taking this as an opportunity to launch into something genuinely new, the show is now perpetually stuck in this, and it's a cycle that we've seen, in this cycle of constantly reusing Daleks or Cybermen, and then it seems like we're just exchanging those year after year, and we're not actually pushing the show forward into new interesting territories. I agree with you to a point, um, and, you know, it's we're not the first people to say that, you know, the Daleks are one of those villains with diminishing returns and... Every time they come back, it just gets a bit more sillier and or a bit more, uh, what's the word? A bit more reductive. I, I just, I have to disagree with you on the fundamental basis that the Doctor is nothing without the Daleks. And I know that that's not clever kind of argument, um, but it is intrinsic to the show's DNA that the Doctor and the Daleks are forever battling through time and to have them to have them not appear after this episode ever again would be bold for sure and the show has not has toyed with that idea 
on several occasions of, you know, signaling the final end for the Daleks. But what I love so much about their ongoing returns is that more so than, I guess, the master or those other kind of classic villains that keep returning to the show, you know, because the master keeps coming back, but there's never any, like, a good explanation for why they are coming back. The Daleks are legion. They are endless. And every time they, you know, return, it's a different faction or it's a different armada or a different whatever you have and it just it's like it's just the ongoing mass of daleks that the doctor can never seemingly defeat i find to be such an interesting story i don't think that the show's done it particularly well on occasion (laughs) but it still has the ingredients of something good and maybe that's just a case of the fact that it's a time travel show and you can like the the daleks timeline is so sufficiently fucked at this point that you can't that that there isn't really a through line of like history for them and so it just just feel like oh they're back now i don't know my argument basically comes down to they're good and they should stay (laughs) (laughs) i don't think that's that's not a bad argument because I enjoy watching the Daleks. They are a like very entertaining part of the show uh, for sure. And you look at stories like Resolution, which I think is another bold claim here. Maybe the only other successful Dalek story that's been told in, in this new era of Doctor Who. And that's because it, I mean, granted that one definitely uh, sort of pairs back the morality questions that Dalek raises, uh, but it does, again, at least offer a unique lens on the concept of a Dalek. And so you've sort of got the the weird body horror stuff in, in that episode, and in this episode you've got the idea of a Dalek mutating enough into what is ostensibly a better being, but in turn it hates itself for it. A really excellent sort of key moral question here. But then in the in the middle there, you've just got this just, like you said, an armada of endlessly, I'm not going to say dull, but, but endlessly rote, mm. pew pew, bang bang stories. And we do have the same problem with the Cybermen as well. Like these two um, classic enemies are just perpetually locked in this like weird nostalgia cycle. Mm. And I understand the, the concept of like they are fun to watch and they definitely are fun to watch. And I think that the Doctor does need an eternal enemy but I would argue that the Doctor's eternal enemy should be something a little bit more conceptual rather than a physical embodiment in one race that we have seen so much of. Conceptual how? I am I, interested to know what, what your alternative would be. So uh, in series 13, when the Doctor goes up against the Eternals, I thought that was an interesting riff on the idea that there um, essentially just boils down to, uh, I think the Doctor is a force for light fighting the dark. I mean, like these are very sort of like basic uh, story blocks, essentially. Um, And so to have a recurring concept of ancient darkness or an old darkness or whatever, I think you can do that without relying on on the Daleks or the Cybermen. And it would be good to see New Who, well, like it was starting to do with the Chibnall era in creating new evils for uh, the Doctor to face. I don't think it's entirely successful uh, in terms of, if you look at something like Tim Shaw, which we'll, <laughs> we'll get to Tim Shaw, um, but at least there was an attempt to move the series beyond these trappings that they they do now feel like very much like actual trappings. Um but they don't need to be. They absolutely don't need to be. The one thing that's always I found so egregious about like the Cybermen's, re- like for instance, returns is that there's so much that's interesting about those creations. They're not just robots. They are 
humans. They were us. They're scared of death. They are trying to, you know, survive. They're scavengers. There's all these different things that, like, the show never quite picks on or chooses to push aside in favor of more contemporary kind of readings of them, you know, as downloads, as upgrades, as, uh, you know, the endless sprawl of technology, which are all very fascinating in their own right, I suppose. And the same applies with the Daleks, I think. They are, their core concept is interesting. They are mutants. They're not, you know, a homogenous race. They are individuals united by one goal. They're driven by hatred. They're locked in these machines. That is so much, there's so much interesting stuff about them that never gets capitalized upon in later episodes. We're talking about Dalek, and I don't want to digress too far away from the discussion of this actual episode, but the case for the Daleks not ever returning after this episode feels flawed to me when there is so much more that can be done with them. Yeah, but the show doesn't seem remotely interested in exploring that potential. But it could, and it should. But it, but it hasn't, is, is my point. Like, I mean, this story aired in, in 2005. We've had 15 years of stories since then. And if the only other one that even tries anything new is 15 years later, I think there's been a fundamental failure of storytelling somewhere along the line there. I mean, that's not entirely true. If you look at Russell T. Davies's era, there are he is trying to do different things with the dialects in the stories. Like, for instance, the next one that we're going to see, and I don't want to push too far ahead, but the next one we're going to see sees an armada of Daleks who think that their emperor is a god, you know, who are half human. There's a couple of episodes down the line when we see a Dalek that, you know, steps out of the shell and mutates further. Like he is playing with taking the Daleks out of their ordinary cookie cutter shape and like twisting them and changing them a little bit. That's ours as we go on. Maybe the, it just comes down to whether or not you feel that the Daleks deserve a return. I don't know. I mean, I just plainly don't. Uh, I right. think that we've we've hit a, a point of diminishing returns with a lot of the classic Who villains. What what I envision for the show, and this is something that I think hopefully listeners have picked up on across our, our episodes now, like I, I prefer the version of Doctor Who that is bold and interesting and really pushes things as far as they could possibly go. And just the, a recurring Dalek or Cyberman finale, it, it feels like the antithesis to to what I want from the show. And the and like you said, mm. you, you're talking about the potential of what a Dalek could be. I'm thinking about the potential of what Doctor Who could be even further. You know, like if, if we're going to talk about stories that could be told, I think the only natural conclusion to that train of thought is is let's really talk about the stories that could be told with Doctor Who and how I, I personally feel like they are being slightly held back by constantly returning to a well that has been very thoroughly tapped. Uh, fundamentally, I have to disagree with you, but I think this is a conversation that could go on for <laughs> forever. <laughs> so um, let's just put a pin in that one. We might return to it in a later episode, maybe a special episode on its own, but um, let's get to Dalek. Yes, because what we do agree on is that this Dalek is choice it's choice there is so much to praise with the way that the dialect is depicted in this episode and it goes back to what i was just saying previously about how the dialects are you know cunning and they're tacticians and they are individuals this episode actually considers that and depicts them as that for in such a refreshing way what do you think yeah i i completely agree um the the way that this dialect is simultaneously intelligent enough to lure Rose in with um, empathy and, and sympathy is, is brilliant and then you pair that with you know it once it gets out of its cage and examples like when it gets to that room full of soldiers and instead of just shooting them all which we've seen that it could easily do it physically lays 
uh, a trap to kill them. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I think that's just a, a really kind of horrifying thing to see happen. And and this is one of the first episodes, I mean, maybe the only episode other than Resolution where I've been genuinely afraid of a Dalek. They, they feel, mm. it feels scary. It feels like an actual threat. Because they aren't ruled by cold logic, you know. They are, they delight in death. And you see that, you have, like when you say that they... The Starlet could have just mowed down all of those soldiers, but chose a very sinister, calculating kind of way to dispatch them in one go. Like it's 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 in reveling in that. Um, it is. I mean, that's why, like, when it taps into the camera system and, and it it lets the Doctor see that it's doing these things. Like the Doctor says, it wants us to see, and I, yeah. I find that kind of um, like you said, that sinisterness just very very creepy. It is creepy. Um, and what is almost more creepy is what this Dalek brings out in this Doctor. What this episode hinges on is that relationship that we haven't seen up to this point. And, and, you know, I shouldn't go without saying that this is the episode that acknowledges for the first time that the creatures that the Doctor fought in the Time War were the Dalek. Yes, that's that's actually very true. I hadn't thought about that. Because yeah. it's just kind of, you know, looking back on this with all the assumed knowledge of what's to come, it's like, yeah, of course the Time War was with the Daleks. Who else would it be? <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's good that the, this is the way that they introduced that concept because it does immediately humanise who he was fighting. If you had started, if you'd revealed the origins of the Time War in... Um, uh, the, the finale of this series and you'd shown like of course he was in a war with them look at them they're an armada they're evil blah 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 it would have been a bit more like oh yeah of course mm. maybe we feel a bit more justified in what the doctor's done but because it starts with this one with the dalek being a victim it recontextualizes the way that we think about the actions that the doctor has taken and also all the little hints that we've received up until this point about how guilty he feels about it and at the same time you say he feels uh the you know this episode is depicting how he feels guilty about what happened to them he's also kind of reveling in the cruelty he can unlay on this dialect like even thinking about it as a as a story concept is what just boggles my mind i know that like there's um like, obviously with distance from it and we've heard it a thousand times before but you know the line you would be a good dalek mm. uh, is obviously quite <laughs> indicative of, of what's really going on in this episode and pulling the doctor down into the muck the way that this episode does where we finally get to see what's been hinted at across this season so far that there is this like you know very war scarred cruel version of the doctor in there somewhere and to see that entirely brought out and christopher eccleston this is easily his best work that i've seen so far uh, he just nails the kind of delight like the the there's a, a an unsettling mix of genuine delight in what he's doing but also enough self-awareness to know that it is wrong on some level and that kind of weird taboo mix of of violence and and desire and all, all that sort of stuff he just pulls it all into his face in in such an unsettling way and he feels so undoctor like and it's perfect well, he does feel undoctor-like for sure, but it's also interesting that his performance in that torture scene, you know, with the lightning flashing and you can see that big grin on his eyes and his lights and his face looks terrifying with the lighting in that um, particular scene. Um, but it's interesting that his performance, like those familiar ticks that we associate with him, like he's a grinning, he's a loon, he's dancing about, he's saying fantastic and it's all there in that scene. It's just directed towards an act of cruelty. It's so fascinating. And it really shows like that all of the, maybe we can unpack this a bit further, but um, all of the fear, not fear, but hatred and anger and the bloodlust that he must have felt during the war, which is why he's so battle scarred now, is just like a click or two away from appearing. All the work he's doing to suppress it and push it down 
it's there in every every day of his life. The one thing I do love about this episode is how it just reveals how much more work the doctor has to do to get over the loss of his people and that it doesn't end. By the, by the end of this episode, it's not over. It's it, it's going to be a long process. And you think about uh, what we talked about with the last two episodes where we do get more of a traditional sort of gleefully running around on an adventure doctor. And, uh, you know, we said at the time that it feels like a little bit of a divergence from what they were doing with the doctor in the previous episodes. And now we're kind of straight back on track to a deeper more methodical character study of a man who is grappling with internal darkness in a way that we didn't really see in the the previous two. Mm. And so to bring that back to the forefront, I, I was very pleased to see that come back. Me too. The one other good callback to the previous episode that we just reviewed, the way in which the Doctor now views his companion and how Rose functions in this episode. There's the crucial scene where he has to make a decision whether or not he's going to seal Rose into the bunker with the Dalek. In the previous episode, he was having a moral quandary with himself about whether or not he should risk Rose's life to save the world. But when confronted with a Dalek, he has a moment's hesitation, but there's no doubt that he's going to press that button and he's going to take the chance to seal Rose in and risk her life. It's an interesting kind of parallel with that episode I felt. Uh, absolutely and there is a good through line there in terms of you can see that the the, the, sh- the mere presence of a Dalek does completely alter sort of the the moral course that he's trying to set himself on and I do think that is quite fascinating for a, a character study. The only part of that that I do find disappointing is I, I wish that we had had Rose react to that moment a little bit more. Not so much in the phone call that she has with the Doctor, where you know she has that really tragic line of like, I was a bit slow. Like it's, oh. it's so sweet and very Rose and, and it works really well. And again, I don't mean to keep bringing this up in every single episode when we talk about Rose, but there does seem to be this kind of hand-waving away of events that she should maybe be considering a little bit more and confronting the Doctor about. Because then you get to the end of this episode and they kind of have like this very light-hearted half conversation about the fact that he sealed her in there to die and that feels like it should be more of a actual dramatic beat between these two characters and i feel like if the story let rose have a little bit more agency on the whole then that kind of character would push back a little bit and say hey i understand why you did it but we do need to talk about how screwed up that was Yeah, the show does like, in this era, it does like to just sort of wrap things up by the end of the episode and and make them friends again. But it would have been good to see. Oh, yeah, I didn't consider that. Yeah, it's it's just something with Rose that I'm finding consistently frustrating is that she she simultaneously does have all of this agency and all of this like spunk and attitude and she's really wonderful in so many ways and then there's just these little pockets where it feels like if the show was a bit braver in its deconstruction of the doctor as a character because it internalizes so much of that with him that we rarely get to see how the companions or the people around him are reacting to this deconstruction and this feels like it would have been a perfect opportunity to have the two of them you know standing in front of the the console of the TARDIS and her been like, hey, you know, last week you promised my mum that you'd keep me safe and then you almost killed me down there for the sake of what, like a few extra minutes of keeping that thing locked up. There's just so much dramatic potential in tension between the companion and the doctor that it it just disappoints me that with Rose, and this is a byproduct of it being so early in the revival, we are getting this much more um, sort of smoothed over edges version of a, uh, a companion dynamic. And we'll see later companions who do take the Doctor to task, but I think 
and this isn't like a new reading of Rose's character or anything, but she is ostensibly the perfect companion. She is in love with the Doctor from this point on forever. So it doesn't surprise me that she would have that reaction, but it is, as you say, it is not the braver choice. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Uh, but on on the whole, I do think Rose is is again quite quite good in this episode. She like her moment with the Dalek. I find particularly fascinating because she's essentially taking everything that she's learnt about how to treat the Doctor, which is with compassion, understanding, mm. kindness, love. Uh, because you know the Doctor and this last Dalek do share so many similarities in her eyes, in being you know war orphans, you know sort of haggard and down on their luck and. You know, there's such an interesting parallel for her because she doesn't have the context of what a Dalek is. And because the Doctor's not around to warn her about it, that her immediate reaction, like with the Gelth, is to offer help. And I think this episode complicates her worldview even more, whereas, you know, she offers sympathy to the Gelth, they come through, they're cartoonishly evil, you know, tie bow on it, it's done. This episode offers sympathy evil still happens but then it twists and mutates into this very interesting and i hate to use the word interesting again but this very interesting dynamic where yes like her kindness was correct in that she allowed the dalek to become better but becoming better was not what was good for the dalek and so it's it's a very layered look at um what we should be offering our sympathies to and it is a very good moral question. And I it's interesting you bring that up because I had also considered how each episode is kind of layering a bit more of the doctor's morality onto Rose and informing how she would respond to a to the quote unquote monster of the week. And you're right, she does take the exact same approach that the doctor has taken with other aliens he's encountered with the Dalek. And I hadn't but I hadn't considered, yeah, that in the same way with the Gelth, how they were revealed to be evil and she was proved right or whatever the case may be. In this episode, she's willing to take a bit more, be a bit more sympathetic or understanding of the Dalek, even while it has a gun to her back. And I guess that just speaks to the sort of unique relationship that they have in this episode where she transfers some of her self, really, onto the Dalek. Um, I had forgotten about that when I was rewatching it, that the Daleks have suddenly picked up this new ability to extrapolate dna to regenerate itself which felt hokey but because it is the linchpin on which the episode uh succeeds by its conclusion i can't imagine it not doing that now i don't know yeah i, I agree it was one of those things that i watched it and i was like wait what <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> how does this happen how does this work exactly but it allows them it, it's one of those like that's a hand wave away that i'm very okay with if you want to hand wave away sort of silly plot stuff in service of better dramatic moments i think that's the way it should be not the not the flip and so yeah but because of that sort of weird plot contrivance you do get a really fascinating look at what would happen if a dalek was capable of feeling things like uh or just even thinking beyond just kill. And it's an interesting wrinkle again of Rose's compassion being greeted with not a clear-cut answer of if she was right or wrong. Because I think a family show, the way that Doctor Who is ostensibly meant to be, and generally looking at the moral of Doctor Who, I think there is a consistent through line of do the right thing. 
And Rose does the right thing. It's just that in this new era of Who, doing the right thing, uh, for Rose at least, has been almost consistently greeted with unforeseen violent consequences. And I, I just find that a very complex take on a traditional moral question. You're absolutely right. And it's something I hadn't considered before this episode is how Rose has the moral high ground a lot more not high ground, but she she has a better moral view of the world than the Doctor does at this point in his timeline because he's so battle-scarred by the Time War. There is a reason why later stories expand on the fact that, you know, the Doctor imprinted so much of who he is going forward from Rose. And it's it's all here in this episode, the fact that she is the one that offers its sympathy and she is the one that questions why the Doctor is acting in the way he is. I mean, there is a case to be made that, you know, Rose has given the Doctor the tools to become himself again. And I think that's yes. not a, you know, an, a new take, but it's so refreshing to see it again in this episode. Yeah, and it's it's going back to the end of the world. I, I brought up in that episode that we have an instance with Cassandra where she's dying at the end. And I brought up that... If they had had a better connection, Rose's sympathy for Cassandra would have reached the Doctor and he would have spared her. And now we kind of see that come a little bit full circle in the end of this episode, where she, because they do have a shared connection now, she is able to reach through his damage and say, hey, you know this is wrong. Don't kill this creature that's you know suffering and obviously there's there's very different sort of moral uh signposts for, for cassandra and what this dialect turns into but again it goes back to what you said about rose imprinting so much humanity onto the doctor when he'd lost so much of it and it's interesting you bring up cassandra as well because i just thought in my head about the differences between those two characters where cassandra is driven by greed but it's a very it's a it's a choice that she has made and i just the one thing i do love about the daleks is the fact that they are genetically engineered to be this way they're not naturally like this they have been ripped and mutated to become this creature of hate inside of machine um oh it's just really good <laughs> i don't know i don't know how to discuss this episode beyond of just saying it's really good guys you should watch it exactly for listeners who've been uh following our show from the beginning this might seem a little bit like our first couple of episodes because it's just there's almost nothing but positives to focus on here it does move from strength to strength and we haven't even touched on the direction done by joe ahern in this episode uh, that you know so well utilizes like close-ups and those incredible corridor fights it's Everything about this episode, well, almost everything, and we'll get to the parts that don't work in, in maybe just a minute now, but everything is kind of just working in this really beautiful harmony. And it makes critiquing an episode like this very difficult because we do end up just sitting here volleying back and forth, being like, I quite liked this. I quite liked that. <laughs> exactly. And I, I, I think we've shown in our discussions that, you know, we don't agree with everything. And, you know, there are bits that could have been done better with a bit more time, but it's still a fantastic episode. And you're right, Joe Hearn's direction is great. I always, the same with Robert Shearman, you know, I'm always surprised that he doesn't come back after series one. He goes on to direct a few more episodes this season, but yeah, he's- He handles the, the ending, right? Yes, and Father's Day. And I think maybe Boomtown, yes. I could be incorrect in saying that. I think I, th- I think I saw Boomtown on his thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I'm, I'm glad that we've got a bit more of his work to look forward to, because I do think that he, he definitely lends the show a kind of intimacy, I, I would say. There is a 
just and again it does come back to a lot of those close-ups and the way that that close-up over the episode progresses from like human faces to the dalek um sort of blue eye and then at the very end you get the like this uncompromising unflinching close-up of what a dalek actually is inside which is just this you know collapsed mutated disgusting deformed blob that he that is just so inherently tragic. Like by that point in the episode, you no longer feel any sort of fear from the Dalek. You don't hate the Dalek the way that the Doctor does anymore. We've essentially aligned with Rose. And so it's good that the camera work matches that by the end and takes a very sympathetic look at the creature inside. Uh, One, I'm glad that they went with a a practical puppet effect uh, because the the way that the, the liquids are sort of dripping down onto things inside of that thing is so unsettlingly real. It just makes me, it makes my skin crawl but not in a not in the same way that a uh, it doesn't scare me it just makes me feel nothing but empathy for this this poor creature at this point um and you get that really just perfect ending of you know it, it blows a hole in the roof and then rose says you know all it wants is to feel the sun and to to take a story about a dalek and end it on such a quiet note where you've essentially reframed the doctor as the bad guy because you know he's he's not the one pointing the gun at me is is a, a classic line from rose here and recontextualizing uh, the doctor and a dalek and flipping those roles the way that this ending does and this goes back to i don't know how this story could have worked without a dalek in that role because i think you would have had definitely still a good story but you do kind of need the years of history for that specific ending to work you're right and i i do want to talk about this ending as well because of how much of how much it changes about what we understand of the Daleks. I remember when this episode first went out and there were so many people who hated it for essentially humanizing the Daleks. And to your point about that this should have been the last Dalek episode of made of the new series, um, there is a case we made probably with this scene purely because of the finality that feels inherent to how it like how everything is laid out by the end of this point, by the, the Daleks journey to the very end, getting their goal. It's something that we never see is a Daleks kind of like <laughs> end point is, you know, reaching the, the absolute end of their potential, the, like the end of their campaign. Yeah. Cause it's not just that it, it, it doesn't just blow up or it's not shot or whatever. It's, it's literally a Dalek reaching the intellectual ending of their philosophy. Yeah. You know, if, if, if they exist long enough and if they're exposed to enough, they do, they will inevitably reach this point where there's nothing left. And if there's nothing left for a, a mutated killing machine to kill, that's the end of their story. And that's why, again, I say like, this should have been the end of the Daleks. <laughs> it is so so good and one of the successes of this episode is or how many times the at the characters sort of question what the dalek wants one of my favorite moments is in van staten's office when it's confronting van staten and you know rose just screams at her it's like she's just like she's just so frustrated by this point she's just like there must be something more than killing and she just goes what do you want and i'm feeling it as well mm. with her like what do you want it speaks to the cold alienness of the daleks that no other as we've seen, you know, there isn't another creature that rivals their popularity. 
and a large part of their popularity is they're just so alien. There isn't anything on them that corresponds to a human reaction or facial tick or those things that you need to respond to as a human being having a conversation. Yeah, because I mean, even like just to jump in, even a Cyberman has a face. Even a Cyberman has a face. It's a very uncanny face because it's a blank human like outline. But you think about what they do with Bill Potts once she's in the Cyberman costume, you'd swear you'd see sadness on that face, even though it's just the same blank, horrifying face. Like there is an ability for the audience to project emotions onto a Cyberman. Whereas you look at a Dalek and you're like, oh, I mean, that's just a tank. It's a tank. You have no idea how it's going to react. You have no idea what it's going to do. And that's why this episode is so successful is because the unpredictability of the dialects is given back to them. And you're just able to say, I don't know what it's going to do from this point. I don't know how it's going to react. And that also speaks to the ending when you have a dialect who essentially is saying, I can't go on anymore. And I'm changing into something so alien that it needs to kill itself. Yeah. And that offers a fascinating uh, reversal of what the doctor is going through. And I only just sort of put this one together, but you've got the Dalek faced with the prospect of healing from war and trauma and killing and becoming something else. And it decides I feel like I cannot do this and it kills itself. And then you've got the doctor on the other end of the room facing the exact same journey where he's finally been presented because of Rose, same as the Dalek, with an opportunity to grow beyond pain and to sort of start to process that trauma. Mm. And the Dalek chooses to kill itself and the doctor drops the gun. And I think that's just a really great mirror. Oh, I just love it. And I also like that ending, I think about it with Rose. There's one moment when uh, Christopher Eccleston drops the gun and he just looks at Rose and he's just like, I couldn't, I wouldn't. And in the same way that the Dalek is a pitiful creature by the end of this episode, so is the Doctor. And when he says, Rose, they're all dead, it's just so pitiful because it's, while it's fundamentally like horrific and true, it doesn't sound like it justifies the act that he's about to commit. You know, he is utterly broken by this experience. It's very good. It's an... It, that's it. It's just, it's very good. There's so many other things that we could sort of pull apart and point to. So many lines of dialogue or, or lighting or, again, Murray Gold's score, absolutely crushing it. And the moments when it there is no score and you just get ambient sounds like, like the water falling onto the Dalek's dome and stuff like that. There's just, this episode is just jam-packed full with incredible moments that we could spend all afternoon talking about. And we haven't even talked about like the great scene where the Doctor is yelling at the Dalek through the TV screen and he's just getting so angry and then a little bit of spit comes out of his mouth. I love that because uh, the director, Joe Hearn, gave Chris Reckleson, like he was like, oh, I think you spat a little bit in that scene. Do you want to go back and do it again? And he was like, no, because he was so fired up and so like, angry a little bit of spittle on it on his mouth when you get in that close-up i thought that was like an intentional touch because it adds such an added layer of realism to the performance no uh, that i can't imagine it not being there he was just so into it he was just so into it that it just came out and then yeah like you say like you can't imagine it not happening it's an ugly image and it's perfect it is for this episode but you're right we should uh touch on the other elements of this episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I don't want to. I don't want to bring us down at the end here, so we're not gonna. We're not gonna spend too long on this stuff because, like we said at the start, these are mostly just like little gripes. These aren't things that drag the whole episode down. Uh, it's just a bit like, oh, these were choices that were made. <laughs> yeah, they were there. Henry Van Staten is 
my least favourite part of this episode. And if it wasn't for the Slovene, he might be my least favourite part of this entire series so far. I find this to be such an unnecessarily goofy depiction of American exceptionalism and capitalism. I, I see what the commentary that they were going for. I just think that it completely falls flat when you pair such a goofy villain next to a Dalek questioning its sanity. I hear you. I don't agree. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sorry. I feel like that's been my reaction to everything you've said in this episode. (laughs) Maybe, but have you also considered that you're wrong? Yes, you're right. He is a bit goofy and like the, the lines when he's like, talking about how he owns the internet and he can change to presidents at a whim is is feels very uh, dumb in the same way that mickey hacking into you know a naval base which apparently adam can do as well but let's not get into that um what i was saying about like all of that all of that very like all of those dumb elements are what they are but i still think that fundamentally van staten is a interesting character in and of its own, his own right. Um, you know, he's a collector of things. He's a despot. He feels very real only in the way that America could be the only country that could produce a man like this. I don't know. I don't have the same level of frustration with the character, but um, I, to your point, yeah, he's he, he isn't he isn't the, the best thing about this episode and, and there isn't a lot to discuss really with him. Again, I see what the intention was with him uh, and there are moments where I think that does come to fruition and uh, Corey Johnson does a really good performance, um, but he's just, if you're going to do a critique on uh, the American capitalist problem um, and again pair it with another sort of moustache twirling version of a villain it it just feels a little bit cheap to me yeah and it's not even that it it didn't even have to discuss all of those different things that he represents because all he needs to do all he needs to function this episode is that he is you know in the terms that they define him as he is the most powerful man on the planet and yet he has nothing compared to the doctor and to the Dalek. They hold all of the power in this episode. So I would defend his character being there purely on the basis that he thinks he's a God, but actually he's a child. And when confronted with these two powerhouses, like he just reveals to everyone how pitiful he also is, which plays into the themes of the episode. I I don't disagree with that. Uh, To me, that feels more like a theoretical reading of the character than than what we actually get in the text, just because the in-text version reminds me of um, uh, Arachnids in the UK's Trump figure in in that it is it's such an on the nose heavy handed parody of something that it for me it just it, it just fla- fails yeah and in Arachnids in the UK I, I wouldn't defend that character <laughs> <laughs> no 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 <laughs> uh, rounding out the supporting cast we have Bruno Langley as Adam and just a an unfortunate real world note on this one is that uh, Bruno Langley has been charged with some uh, very unpleasant sort of sexual assault allegations. Uh, and so because of that, we're going to be keeping our discussion of Adam to a minimum, even next week when he's sort of a bit more important to the plot, just because we don't want to be giving airtime to um, a, a person that has, has done the things that he's done. So just had to, had to say that, had to get that out of the way where we, we try to be as sort of um, positive and 
um, respectful to to real world issues as we can be on, on here on Two Hearts, and this is just one of those really unfortunate potholes that we're going to have to talk about the character. But just be aware that there is there's some stuff there with with the actor, and we want to make sure that you guys that you folks know that we're not taking that lightly. Yeah, I don't think we can't not we have to discuss this character next week because how much they represent to that the flow of the episode um but we do want to acknowledge that bruno langley isn't great uh, and i mean i think that's pretty much it other than diana who um <laughs> for some reason ends up as the president of the internet in the end i do i do love the way that she says sacramento for some reason <laughs> yeah she's she's she delivers a very fun campy performance and i think it's definitely in lockstep with what they're doing with van staten uh one i just don't understand the functionality of the character i don't know what she's adding to the narrative and again it just feels like they're part of a much sillier episode than what's going on with the rest of it it's it's inoffensive you know she's she, she is just there so that it's not just endless scenes of van staten and the doctor talking she adds a bit of levity i would say especially that line at the start <laughs> when so the next president what do you think republican or democrat democrat sir for what reason they're just so funny sir I don't even know why. That's very good. But it's her, it's her delivery that makes me laugh. But yeah, they are, they, all of these things are so, so slight to this episode. It goes without saying that they don't, for, I, I can't speak for you, James, but they don't impact my enjoyment of this episode or my assessment of it, really. No, no, definitely not. I just kind of rolled my eyes while they were on screen and then, you know, then we move back to the incredible stuff. So it's, <laughs> it's it, it again, it doesn't drag anything down. We wanted to just give it a, a couple of minutes at the end here because they are critiques that we do have. But on the whole, Dalek, let's let's wrap this up. Let's give it a grade, even though I'm pretty sure we all know where we're going to land on this. I'm going to give it an A. Um, it doesn't get the plus for me just because I feel like there are very, very few episodes that do reach that level of excellence um, that the plus denotes. But it is so good. Absolutely. I... I'm going to go with an A as well. I'm, I'm tempted to give it an A minus just because of how I personally feel about the Daleks coming back after this, but that's not a fair critique to land onto this one. So yeah, a, a solid A. You kind of criticize this episode because of what later episodes do. <laughs> what I can and can't do on my own podcast. But with that, that pretty much brings us to the end of our discussion on Dalek. We thank you folks for bearing with us while we sort of unpack this very dense episode. There's a, there's a lot going on in here and its implications for the wider series of Doctor Who are very far-reaching. So we appreciate that you let us go on our little tangents and hopefully enjoyed them. We do get into these heated discussions here on Two Hearts. So thank you for following us through this discussion of dialect. And I feel like this is the kind of episode where the discussion absolutely could be taken online and onto our social because there's just so much to unpack. So if you do want to reach out to us, we are across most social media platforms. We have Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, which is at two, the number two, hearts pod. But if you have thoughts that you can't sum up in a tweet or a short message, feel free to wing us an email uh, at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com and that's to the word two as always we would greatly appreciate uh, a positive review on itunes or whatever service that you listen to us on because that really just helps us grow the podcast and yeah it would just be nice to get some good feedback Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um and if you want to reach out to us um individually um i'm on twitter and instagram at cj mclean underscore one day i might get at cj mclean but we're not there yet 
<laughs> no, we've got to grow the podcast first. That's what we need those reviews for, folks. We've got to get some internet clout going so that CJ can get a clean Twitter handle. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, I am at OMG More James. And next week, what are we? What episode are we looking at next week? We are looking at The Long Game, and I am so excited to discuss this episode purely based on the fact that I haven't watched this since it went out in 2005. It's this unloved, forgotten little episode of Series 1, but I reckon I'm keen to crack it open and see what's inside. Excellent. Me too. Me too. All right. As always, thank you for joining us and we will see you folks next week. Have a good one. Bye.